Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Roxander Hodge. Thanks again for tuning in to Roxander uh, Hodge and Authentic Living with Roxanne. So today I have Kristen McDermott uh, today. Um, Kristen's uh, located in, in Palm Beach, Florida. And uh, Kristen's got a pretty fascinating background. So Kristen, thanks so much for coming on and spending Thank your you time with us. So uh, Kristen's got some uh, fantastic um, uh, synergies with myself with uh, uh, issues around resilience and talking about uh, with a background in um, uh, marriage and family therapy. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Uh, her full bio will be um, in the show notes. So she is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and she's been doing uh, almost a decade's worth uh, of research on resilience. She has programs that have been validated by the Duke Clinical Research Institute. She's designed uh, some high-level programs, which is pretty impressive, which I'd love to hear more about uh, for the Navy SEALs and the um, LAPD, uh, which I would assume that that would be something that would be needed, um, you know, in those frontline positions a lot. She also has authored, authored a book, It Takes Two Minutes to Shift Your Mindset and Build Resilience. I love the title. Well, I mean, the thing that I learned the hard way from when I had a big company to we were trying to take resilience training to as many populations as possible is that, you know, probably how this is when you have so much in your head. I sort of designed basically a graduate school version of resilience training. And, you know, we did all the research on it and it works. But the point mm -hmm. is, if you have something that works, but it's too much for people it's worthless. So now everything I do is just these little bite-sized pieces. So that book, it's actually a picture book. So you can open to any page and on one page is a compelling photograph that's related to the skill, but on the other side is just a couple of paragraphs about one skill that you can read in one or two minutes. And then there's a question so you can apply it to your life immediately, because that's the culture we live in right now. You know, people wanna want something that's accessible so that's what I spend my life doing, trying to break things down into these tiny little pieces. Little bite-sized pieces. It's so mm -hmm. it's so true, right? I, I'm sure you're equally as busy as myself. And sometimes if I'm trying to, you know, because my head is often full with between mm -hmm. coaching and training and those types of things. But if I want to start looking to something, I'll oftentimes, you know, pop onto YouTube, look for something like, say, for five to seven minutes mm -hmm. um, or it'll grow up so I can kind of, you know, oh, okay, well, this is a little beginning and not oftentimes having the time to sit down for, you know, 45 minutes to an hour to be able to kind of absorb something. So I do bit bit sites and what the leaders that I work with as well, they will often say the same things to me. Roxanne, you know, um, all these resilience or authentic uh, leadership tips you're trying to teach me, um, you know, I'd love to do, you know, your six month program or whatever. However, through the day, you know, I literally have bits and bites just to be able to have a bit of a lunch and maybe uh, periodically take a five minute break. So I'm not really sure, you know, how to implement those things because I don't have the time. And the thing about a lot of this stuff is, you know, one skill at a time, there are things that people know for the most part. It's just that they're not 
either conscious of how important they are or conscious that they're not really doing them or just being intentional about implementing them. So when you give people those little things are like, oh yeah. And then it's like, that's the only thing they have to think of that day. Mm-hmm. They're more likely to be able to apply it. Then, you know, I mean, I love to read books, but then it's like a fire hose of information and you have to underline it and all that. And just not everyone, like you said, has the time to do that. Right. Or everybody gets, I know I was on, uh, I listened to a fair amount of audible, but really mm-hmm. through, uh, through 2020, you know, just with everything going on, I've, you know, oftentimes when I go for my walks or whatever, I would put my headset on, but lately what I've been doing is I, I, I just want to listen to nature. So I'm, I'm not even, you know, if I'm gone for that 45 minutes, you know, I realize, oh yeah, I could, but then I think, oh, and then I'm so much more relaxed by the fact that I'm just kind of taking in all the senses around me versus kind of listening to something that I think maybe I should be, you know, I, I should look up yeah. this, that kind of thing. And I think those are sometimes the simplest strategies are the best strategies uh, just from uh, my, my own life, but also, you know, kind of coaching people with uh, high level positions that have minimal time. I mean, I think you're right because I found with myself that, um, that I used to run, I mean, I always run, but I used to run with music, you know, just to kind of keep me going. And when I, when I, I don't know why, but I just took it out of my ears a few years ago and just wanted to see what it would be like to run with nothing. It all of a sudden I realized that you get answers, like the things you didn't even realize you've been noodling for a while, all of a sudden, like, boom, you know, it's sort of, I always say it's like the reason you get your best ideas in the shower is because for a lot of times that's like the only time you're not actually doing anything or having any other input. And I, that's actually an important piece of my work is that, is that I call it inner wisdom. You could call it, you know, your gut feeling, your intuition, your instinct, your heart, whatever you want to call it. But there is that part of us that is the wisest part of us, you know, that doesn't go down the rabbit hole of our sort of negative thinking sometimes. And I find that when we get quiet and stop having input, it, you, we can hear it. So like running or walking in nature without the music on is such a, there's like these extra little gifts you get. And it's it, to your point, it's so basic, right? Like, I mean, but if you were to be coaching someone and you talk to them about that, they'll go, yeah, 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 I know that. I know that, mm-hmm. you know, but it's, it's sometimes that little shifts in, in certain behaviors um, because they may be doing it and not getting the optimal um output from it and like you said just unplugging you know those earbuds from your ears and you kind of go wow you know I've been noodling um you know about I I just wrote my second book and I've been you know you know how you go through those of of naming the book and I have this kind of you know it's been and I was walking one day and I try to get up for about an hour walk as often as I can and the title even though it was in pieces kind of came and I was like I've been like you know, getting social feedback and going to my writing <laughs> group and talking to people on Facebook. And here I am, it's kind of like it like went click, click, click. Yeah. All the elements that were kind of out there kind of came together. So I think you're right. Um, it's that space where you're a lot, there's nothing. And, it, and our children do it quite, quite well when they're young, you, you know, when they kind of mix that space. So I'd love to talk to you. Well, I'm- when they're allowed Though I I was going to say a similar thing. It's like, I feel like one of the things that is detrimental to kids nowadays is they don't really ever have to be bored. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're bored, it's that same thing. It's like all of a sudden your imagination kicks in and it's not the same when you're having, again, like input from your screen or your phone or whatever that is. And I mean, I'm not one of those people that 
look, it is what it is. Like, I don't think they're going to be ruined, but I do think it's an interesting thing to think about. You know, it's just that being quiet in nature or, you know, being bored and not having to do something and just being for a little while. I mean, we do talk a lot in my resilience-based parenting program. We talk about, you know, how important it is to help your kids tune in, realize that inner wisdom is important and help them tune in. Because think about it with kids. They're pretty much told to defer to their teachers, their coaches, their friends, parents, their babysitters. I mean, pretty much everyone is an authority figure and they're supposed to just obey a lot of the time. And so you, if it goes too far, then they're always looking outside of themselves for their answers right. instead of looking at like, well, what, what feels right to me? Because they can feel that if they're, if they practice. Absolutely. And, and to, you know, and I know, I know you have programs, which I'd love to talk about, but I think you're so right. And what do our kids model? They model what they see around them, exactly. right? So I often remember, I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago um, in the Caribbean and, um, you know, there was six of us, right? And we were often playing, fighting, conflict resolution, mm-hmm. <laughs> all these skills and, uh, you know, but just being outside in nature all the time. And, you know, now I know with kids that I often might coach as well or, or see in my practice uh, that when they are not plugged in, they're bored and they're often trying to go to their parents to get a solution for I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. So they're not being allowed, I think that space to your point, to be able to sit with it and say, well, what can I do now? You know, right. you know what game can I make up or right. You know, what kind of what could I do now because I'm bored, you know, and I think because now that space of quietness in whatever um, form is it's, it's not as available, especially to with them being as connected as they are. And we know that that's just going to get exponential as we go um, as the digital kind of era increases. So and you see it with adults also, don't you? I mean, it's like I love if I'm sitting waiting for someone for lunch or, you know, coffee or whatever. I mean, of course I don't always do it, but I, I try to be intentional about as when I cannot pick up my phone and just sit there, but it's yeah. such a weird sight to see someone just sitting alone, kind of looking around, not doing anything, you know, because we don't <laughs> like, do what's, it. what's up with them? What, why, why are they not? <laughs> exactly. well, everybody else not? is kind of clicking and looking down mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So let's talk about resilience and, um, and, and relationships. Cause I know, that's your sweet spot. I talk about authentic leadership and leading from the heart. And, mm-hmm. you know, what is it about resilience and, and relationships that are so important? Well, so my brand of resilience, which I have about eight different sort of components of it, but um, I don't need, we don't have time to talk about all eight of them. So I'll pick maybe three that you can see how when you build resilience, those same skills help you with relationships. Um, Well, I mean, really a a lot of resilience is about self-awareness, right? And so if you think of emotional intelligence, which I think is a component of resilience. So when you start to understand what's the cause of your emotions and start to be able to manage your response to your emotions, that level of self-awareness obviously makes you resilient because it makes you able to control and look to what you can control in a situation, even if the external situation is out of your control, you can control your emotional response. You control how you're thinking about it. And so you can also see that if you have that level of self-awareness about your own emotions, it makes you more have more empathy 
because you understand others better. And so it does improve your relationships and it gives you, it improves how you talk about those things. You become comfortable talking about your emotions and your behavior and your thoughts and how that's all linked. And so of course that will helps you talk about what's going on with the other person and your relationship. So that's just one. Um, I'll say one other, and it's, I feel like you and I probably speak the same language. We just use different words, but um, the other one that I think is really important um, as that I think is fundamental to resilience is just, I always call it speaking the language of needs, but the idea that you know what your personal needs are in your, to have a high quality of life and to have good feeling relationships and you take responsibility for getting those needs met, which makes you feel more empowered and more resilient and more taken care of. But it also means that in relationships, you can have conversations that help both people get their needs met. And really the root of most interpersonal conflict is unmet needs. It's if you know, if you go down there, it's about someone not getting their needs met. And so again, you can see how talking about needs helps both in, you know, your individual resilience, but also your relationships. Right, because again, and I often say, <laughs> and we and I can talk more about this, but when you see it, um, you know, I try to explain to couples when I, I, I coach them or I talk to them, I say, if you look at a request initially, it's kind of like if you see a two-year-old, right? <laughs> They're making a request. <laughs> They're kind of, you know, can I have that cookie or whatever? And then you're, kind, you're off to something else and you're ignoring them and then it becomes a little bit more terse, right? It escalates. Maybe the voice gets um, louder or the antics get bigger, Right. When you start to look at it in adult relationships, really a request becomes a demand and, you know, you can see how it escalates up, right? So really, it's, you know, I say to people, it's really, um, I'd, I'd like you to do this comes first and then it goes further and get it further. And then before, mm-hmm. and then it's like, you know, someone's like, you know, maybe raising their voice or somebody's stonewalling and not speaking. It's, it's because those needs to your point are not met and you're asking and it's not met and it goes up and up and up. And before you know it, it's like, you know, uh, we've have such a divide and people are, I don't, I'm not really sure how we got there. Kind right. of thing. But if you break it down and instead of talking, like you're saying, if instead of saying you do this and you do that, or you don't do this or whatever, if you can say, you know, I'm feeling overwhelmed, I need time for some self-care or I'm feeling, um, not respected in this family because I feel like I do so much. And but can you help me? Can you help me get these needs met? And if you love each other, which is usually the case, when you start out just saying like, "Tell me what you need, and I'll tell you what I do," and how can we help each other get those met? You can find the inroads there because it's not just that you, you, you letting me down. Exactly. As soon as you hear the you, you get the whoa. Okay, mm-hmm. there's, some, there's something wrong with me, and then I'm gonna. Of course, I'm gonna protect. I'm going to retract. I'm going to protect in whatever way. That's the that's the human uh, element. So lately, yeah. you've been uh, talking a lot about parenting. Um, yes. So that pivot happened. It, was it because of the t- time we're in, or is it something that you had planned quite a while back to uh, to focus more on um, parenting and? You know what happened is I um I had a company and um so I you know how your career sometimes just takes twists and turns all for good reasons. But so I didn't mean to not be a marriage and family therapist. I I thought I would do that forever, but I ended up getting this opportunity to go do all this research in the cancer world. And so, and we had these great results. And so I just decided that I needed to raise money to build a platform to get it out to the world. And because it was about 10 years 
before its time, unfortunately. We were doing everything in these online classes, which now makes a ton of sense. But back then it was a little before people were doing that. And so anyway, a couple of years ago, for a myriad of reasons, I ended up stopping that. I ended up, it just didn't work. And so I had to regroup, which is interesting because, you know, here I was turning 50 and I was like, does this mean I'm a failure? And then I was like, wait, I just wanted to teach other people to be resilient. I didn't want to have to be resilient myself. <laughs> like, but, you know, I what the way I knew how to do that was to like, okay, so look inward, like what's in my control and like move towards my joy. And the truth was, you know, managing that business had gotten me away from what I truly love, which is working with people one-on-one. It's just what I love. And the other truth is I love teens and young adults. I just right. find that there's something about that age where they're, you know, they're already in a learning stage of life. And so they're so quick and wise, but often they're just, they're, you know, they're dying to get some freedom and they don't have a voice because it's been squashed and they really want tools and skills and they want life to make sense. And so it's just super fun for me. So I just, um, and then I had a partner who helped me write I've written two books, one of which I haven't published yet, but, um, and she and I, she loves parenting too. And she's a writer. And so um, we just sort of started thinking like, what would we do if we were going to do a project together that would light us both up? And it's this, and the reason it fits into the little bite-sized thing also is because, well, first of all, parents are typically super busy, right? I mean, there's just not any extra time. And so what the way we approached it was we're trying to give little conversation starters so that instead of, you know, bringing your kid in for the talk <laughs> about drugs or the talk about sex or whatever, you can get in a habit where you're having really small but meaningful conversations and no one's even noticing that you're building resilience along the way. Because for the most part, they're pretty innocuous. Like, what do you think your strengths are? I'll tell you what I think mine are. I'll tell you what I think yours are, but what do you think? Like, you know, just the whole myriad of things. Like what, what do you think would improve our home culture? You know, which is all about needs. Anyway, so we're trying to just help parents have meaningful little conversations that don't require a PhD in resilience or psychology, um, but over time actually build not just resilience, but it improves the relationships. Because the last thing I'm going to say about that is that I think you can judge the health of a relationship by the conversations. Mm -hmm. When you see parents, I mean, especially parents and children, but really everyone, but when you see parents having conversations with their kids that aren't just, you know, one-sided, agenda-driven, top-down, I need to teach you this, you need to do this, but are genuinely curious and mutually respectful. I'm not saying just be your child's friend, but I'm saying, you know, hear them it's really, it sets up this dynamic where you can be an ally and be the person who gives your child good information that they will actually want from you as opposed to the person they resist because it is human nature to resist being controlled. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And we don't want them to go out in the world with not, without having that inner sense to be able to stand their ground. But yeah. you're right, it becomes that didactic kind of give and take. And unfortunately, and you know it as a, uh, as a family therapist as well, because families often, they don't start to talk about those things as being yeah. kind of normal until there's a, a thing happening. Exactly. At which point we have to have 
the talk <laughs> or, you know, you're kind of approaching your team for the first time to say, by the way, yes. because you, you know, <laughs> I heard so-and-so has been doing up this and this, should right. we be talking about, you know, those talks <laughs> when I would, you know, with my son, he would be like, oh no, ma, what, what's oh. it going to be about this time kind of right. thing. <laughs> and you know, they can't hear you because in you their know, head, like, they're going like, go, how oh, am no, I going to no, get no, away from this? Yeah. I got to make it stop. How am I, you know, it's just, <laughs> they had totally shut down. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about you. Resilience is like you said, the inner knowing, the awareness, understanding my needs and wants. Um, mm-hmm. As a parent, when you are aware of that, and let's say we have a kid that's diametrically opposed to you personality wise, mm-hmm. how do you approach them? How do you kind of, you know, use it to be able to intervene effectively from the space of resilience to also you know, create a, 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 I would say a path for your child to also develop that resilience without, you know, so, the I mean, divide. One of the most important things that I'm trying to do in my parenting programs, the outcome that I'm trying to help people parent for is self-efficacy, which means that you're raising children who believe that they can take responsibility for themselves, make good decisions and have a positive impact in their own lives. So which might not be what everyone's parenting for, but that's what we're trying to do. So since that's what we're trying to do, we're actually looking for as early as possible, for as many opportunities to transfer responsibility to your child as possible. And obviously the earlier you start about things that don't have big consequences, the better, because a lot of times what happens is all of a sudden, you know, kids get to college And they have the first time ever, they're responsible for making their own decisions and they haven't really practiced, you know, thinking through all that. So like when you, your question was, you know, what do you do if you have a child whose personality is diametrically opposed? And my answer is always have a dialogue, like ask the child, well, this is what's going on for me. Like, I feel like I'm trying to help you, but somehow it's missing. Like, help me understand how you experience me, what you need from me, what I can do to to be better because this doesn't feel good to me. And I'm not saying I'm gonna give you everything you want, but help me understand. Mm -hmm. And I am always surprised. By the way, that's what I would do if I had that child in my practice, right? Right. And because, and then I'm the first adult who's ever done that with them is like, help me understand how you see it and what you need. And I'll help you figure out what's realistic and how we can have more of that happen, you know, and balance out what the other people need. So I always put it back on like, he actually try to hear what your child needs and what they believe and what their opinions are. You might not agree with them, but try to listen. Give them that voice relatively early Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, teach them how to help what skills they might need to help others understand them if they're a bit different. I I like that because oftentimes kids are like, well, if I have a different point of view with, from you, there's going to be conflict and it it need not necessarily be so. And that whole concept of tell me more, I don't get it. You know, the Columbo, like you and I would do very well uh, with the people knowing it. And then they go, wow. Oh, thank you. I didn't even think I thought like that or right whatever and and you know and then often i i'm sure you see that um in practice is that parents are like how did you you know you get the i'm gonna bring the nine-year-old to you or the the Mm -hmm. 11 year old and you just fix him or her oh my gosh (laughs) and then i'll pick them back up right no 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 no, no. here's the deal i'm gonna talk to them but you're coming in as well and then they say well they won't talk to you but 
it's good that, you know, you might need some time. I go, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. And then they see the child starting to open up the parent in that. So it's nice for, as an onlooker. And then they realize it, it may, it's not that they could need to do a, a, a like a gastronomical amount right. of changes, but then they can actually make little tweaks. That's you know, the thing. And then yeah. they, wow, I can't believe that was the big, biggest, quickest clam opening I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I'm sure you're quite capable of doing it yourself. So, I, you know, from that resilience perspective, talk going back again to parents, sometimes they just need to know that they have the skills, but maybe it's just a bit of a different approach as well. Yeah. And I mean, it's what it really, I love that you just said, it doesn't have to be because the little shifts can make all the difference. It's just, I mean, kids don't wake up in the morning thinking, how can I have a really difficult life full of conflict, but they are going to resist. And so just those little shifts in like helping your kid feel like you're, you're, you're making an effort to just here, understand their point of view. That doesn't mean you're giving in and, you know, letting them the, run the roost, but um, that it can make a huge difference. That's, uh, it's, it's so true. So let's, um, let's talk a little bit about, we've already tipped into um, the teens. Mm-hmm. And um, is there anything that uh, you think that parents listening um, from your programs or just that they could do? Because we know that it's a natural, normal, you know, concept that teens have, they now have to kind of, you know, kind of gently let go of us and start to kind of, you know, tip into the world. And, um, you know, they do it sometimes big and bold and, mm-hmm. and then they do it in ways that aren't effective. What are some of the resiliency strategies or things that you might suggest again uh, for parents that kind of say, oh, you know, you hear parents, you know, I need to batten down the hatches. They're a tween and they're going to step in into teenagehood. I mean, I think just what you're saying is really interesting because a lot of the time there's an underlying belief that parents have that if I don't just clamp it down, this child is going to run amok, which I think is interesting to look at because that's something that is the parents that, you know, if you're parenting from that perspective, you're going to do something and what you're meaning is, I love you and I want to keep you safe. But what your child is going to hear is, I don't trust you. I don't trust you to make decisions for yourself. So I'm going to not give you responsibility for that. And so I think that, you know, when our children are teenagers, they need information. They think they know a lot and they're getting information from not good sources, right? So if we can become the source of the best information, that's a, that's a great thing for us to try to do. But the only way we can do that is if we, I think, do two things. If we say to our kids and demonstrate to our kids that we're going to level with them, that we're going to tell them the truth, even when it's uncomfortable. Now, that doesn't mean you have to give too much information and you're not entitled to your privacy. But it means that, like the best example I always think of is with um divorcing parents or parents who have a lot of conflict between themselves. You know, a lot of times they think there's a, they need to protect their children from the animosity in the marriage. So they pretend like everything's okay, but their children can feel, they can Absolutely. feel that it's not okay. So if you don't level with them about the fact that you're actually angry, 
they're going to either not trust you or not trust their own guts. But again, you don't have to say, I'm angry because your father is da-da-da-da-da. Just say, you know what? Yeah, I'm angry. I'm doing my best to work through it. And then it's like they they can trust you and they can trust themselves. So, and the other things about sort of leveling with you is like, you know, how much do you tell your child when your child asks something about, you know, drugs or alcohol or whatever? Like you need to think first about these things and you can say, not ready to answer that. I'm going to get back to you tomorrow. But again, like you want to, you want them to know that you're actually giving them a truthful answer. And if you're not sure what's age appropriate, call someone, you know, but so, I mean, I always think of it as like that first, I will level with you. And then the second one we already talked about is I will listen to you. I'm not promising. I'm going to agree with you, but you know, listening as you know, is a skill. When you listen to actually understand and not to win, it's a totally different thing. And the good thing is you don't have to just put your opinion over there for a minute and make sure you get all the ins and outs so you understand. And then when you're ready to try to give your information, you're going to know which information they actually need that they're missing because you will have understood better where they're coming from. Versus just regurgitating, like it's yeah. a pre-canned kind of thing. Exactly. And then you, you lose that connection when you say, oh, I see that you don't see this this way, like I do. However, I can see that. And you might just kind of park it and think, okay, well, we'll, we'll leave that one for a little bit later, maybe, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, what I'd like to know from you, and we know um, 2020 has been difficult, uh, you know, we, we deal with families, we, we talk to them and work with them around parenting, you have your courses, you know, I, it, what is it that leadership uh, companies need to be aware of in reference to the pressures of what people are going through from being at home, running lives, parenting, all those things? What, what do you think are some of the biggest resiliency issues that people are experiencing in 2020 that might impact their capacity to be fully productive at work? I mean, if people have kids at home who are doing online school, I think it is really throwing people for a loop. I think it is very difficult depending on the ages. Yeah. So I feel like, I mean, first of all, that's a big thing. If someone actually has younger, maybe, you know, elementary, middle school kids homeschooling or, you know, being stuck at home for school, I just think there's just literally not enough time. I feel like there, there is stuff being put on those parents that, It's just, even when the schools don't realize it, it is a lot being put on those parents. So they just don't have time. And then I think, you know, for, for high school and college kids, especially when you're supposed to be being independent, you're supposed to be taking small risks and making decisions for yourself and suffering the consequences and learning and growing. And they're just literally not able to do that. And it feels so wrong there. I mean, those age kids are supposed to be with their peers and it's just um, it's causing so much friction, I think for families that, um, you know, trying to do it all. I mean, and even, even just spouses who are used to having their own time away from each other to have to do all that stuff in such close proximity and not have, you know, your break to get to, you know, talk about self-care, which is a huge part of resilience. You know, people are just not able to do it. Now, a friend of mine actually collapsed. She's, she's has two high school daughters and a husband who's um, she's actually on a, she has a podcast who I'm a guest on often. Her husband's a famous comedian and she just, 
was going about her life, but like all of a sudden there was so much more to it because, you know, she had to do all the laundry and all the things and there was, you couldn't have any help. And she literally was walking through her house and collapsed. And it was exhaustion from just, you know, taking care of everyone's needs except for her own. And I don't think she's alone. No, I, th I think, you know, and there's a heaviness that I'm finding with, uh, you know, the people that I'm coaching um, or seeing or just training because you're right, we do it, right? We keep going. And then like to your friends, like, you know, so it, that's, I'm sure quite resilient, but at, at some point the body's gonna just, the body's gonna put that white flag up and there'll be no negotiating. Yeah, and we, you know, we actually talked the last time I, I was on her podcast about the fact that, you know, she was putting everyone's needs in front of her own. And it's actually not sustainable. I mean, it's right. the reason they tell you to put your oxygen mask on first on the airplane. I mean, it's such a good visual because it's actually not Absolutely. sustainable to just burn yourself out and then you have nothing to give. And, you know, all my resilience research came in the cancer world. And so you can imagine the caregivers needed the resilience training as much as the people with cancer because they're on the same emotional roller coaster with even less power in the situation. Right. And so their needs just got, you know, put on the back burner. So really uh, employers and uh, leadership teams need to be aware that generally I would say through 2020, that most people are doing their best. Um, is productivity going to be not at optimal functioning? Absolutely. And maybe there'd be a normative kind of element to saying, having the discussions like, where are you? Like if you have, you know, uh, you know, I have a, a, you know, someone attending university and it's different and he's kind of, you know, in and out on his own still, right? Different stage to someone that say has little ones, you know, maybe a couple of little ones and then middle school to your point, that kind of stuff. And then you're trying to kind of keep them active and burn them up, you know, burn, get them to burn some energy and they can't do the normal things. It's a lot more things. So I, I hear you when you say that just being kind and empathetic and recognizing that people will do their best to try to, you know, meet all those needs. But at some point, you don't want them to get to the point of where your friend got, where it takes a collapse for people to recognize I, I need to self-care has to take a pivotal point. But, you know, leaders could model, leaders could model asking what their employees need. It doesn't mean they have right. to give them everything, but why not model having that conversation? Because instead of guessing, you know, find out. And it, and it, it always, something positive is going to come out of that conversation, even if you don't, you know, give them everything. Absolutely. And I've done a fair amount of um, interviews for my book on authentic leadership and leading from the heart. And some of the most authentic leaders, um, one particular leader would do like a Facebook live and he is into yoga and his staff knew that. So he would invite them in. Um, you know, other one was reaching out just to have conversations. So you imagine the CEO of your company being on the phone and saying, so here I'm saying, how are you doing? You're right. Like I mean, amazing. Mm -hmm. and, and he actually did that. So I think you are so right. Not unlike with the strategies that you're talking about when we're talking to our kids, that leaders can do the same to say, Hey, Kristen, you know, what's, what's happening in your world, you know, in your home. <laughs> I know you yeah. just got to zoom and, and all of this is going on. What's outside of those walls. Exactly. You know, kind of what were you doing before? And within this hour after this, what, what are you picking up? And I think that creates that, that uh, synergy or connection 
that we normally would be able to get if we were in the same spaces. We, we, we were able to kind of dialogue maybe a little bit more intimately, but now in a virtual world, we really have to extend um, more virtually to ask those questions. And then, and people sharing, then you kind of know, and you have a, maybe a little bit more um, sense of how you can assist them in a different way, not meeting all their needs, like to your point, right. but right. really from that understanding that that puts you at a nice, nicer space where that, uh, person you're interfacing with thinks, wow, well, isn't, isn't that nice that he or she thought to even ask me some basic mm -hmm. questions about my life? Well, and you know, they can also model taking care of themselves also, you know, because if it's genuinely a leader who is resilient and realizes how important it is to take care of yourself, then they're going to, that's going to permeate the workplace and they will model that. And then they will naturally have those conversations because it matters to them. Kristen, this has been an amazing conversation. I think with uh, you and I having, you know, kind of like kind of um, synergies, it's 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 been a pleasure having you. Thank now, you. I know you have prepared um, something special for people to be able to uh, get some free resources. So why don't you tell them um, where they can get those or maybe where they can pick up your book. And if ever anybody's wanting to consult with you, um, they can reach out to you directly. Fantastic. Yeah. So we created a page for your listeners and it's McDermott Method and McDermott is M-A-C-D-E-R-M-O-T-T. -T. So McDermottMethod.com and then forward slash authentic living. So there are a bunch of free resources there to just check out our various online courses or just ask questions. And I think we have five chapters from my book free on there as well. So and you Fantastic. can get my book on Amazon too. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> well, thank you so much again. So what am I, I'm taking away that, um, have the conversations and listen to understand, you know, and uh, I like, I like this point, which I'm sure a lot of parents will like this is doesn't mean you have to give in to every need, but at least in understanding, you can decide, you know, what are some of the parts of the conversation that you need to draw into and or maybe ones that are maybe a little bit bigger than you need to kind of put aside for a bit to be able to come back to. So as parents um, or as leaders, those same strategies can be the same things that can be applied yeah. because ultimately, you know, on a, on a, on a deep yeah. connection, what is it that we want to know? I want to know if, if Kristen's on the other end of the, um, you know, the computer that she's getting me and I'm getting her. So whatever it takes to facilitate that connection, um, you know, try, if you're kind of lost, ask the question. Yeah. And if, you know, people direct you when you've kind of misread potentially what they're trying to say to you. So what I say is go out there, um, you know, connect as much as you can, to, whether it's to your children, to your teams, to your partners. And at, at work, um, you know, the same, you know, it's a different time, but you can definitely connect in lots of different ways. So again, I'm Roxanne Hodge. If you're needing any uh, coaching or um, information on my training and keynote, virtual keynote speaking, you can reach me at roxanderhodge.com. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.